Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Stonebrook Pastors Question and Answer Podcast. Lord willing, each week we will take a question you've asked and spend about 15 minutes responding to it. The questions might be about theology, the Christian life, or just a simple question about what's going on in the church and why. My name is Matt Harrima, and I'm one of the pastors at Stonebrook Community Church. And this week I'm sitting down with pastors Brad and Dave to discuss the difficult question of what is Stonebrook's stance on abortion. I hope this is helpful. All right, gentlemen, the subject today is a very lighthearted topic, abortion. On Sunday, I, I taught a message and I used abortion as an example, along with two other uh, examples of hot button cultural issues, uh, sexual morality, as well as care for the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant as, uh, as examples of ways that the Bible is clear about the central teaching of the issue, but that strategy about how to go about dealing with those issues can be debated. But I thought we would take some time, it was actually Dave's idea, to take some time and unpack this issue of abortion from the Bible's perspective a little bit more. So gentlemen, abortion, we say, is the ending of a human life without just cause and therefore is murder. That's our stance at Stonebrook. It has been for lots and lots of years. And I think it's increasingly important to say that, but how do we say that? Why do we say it? Where do we get that? How do we, um, how do we proclaim that compassionately in our culture? And what are some wise ways of navigating here, guys? What do you think? To me, the most fundamental question or two, maybe two fundamental questions is one is, is every soul created in the image of God? And I think the scriptures, Genesis 1, would be very clear on that. And then the second one that I don't hear discussed very often is, does a child in the womb, or some would call it a fetus, does a child in the womb have a soul? Hmm. Because if not, then the issue of abortion is moot. But if it does, then the issue has uh, the utmost importance. And so I think there are some passages that clearly indicate that to me. Uh, we can get into that if you want, but those, those seem to me to be the most foundational. And there's all the strategies that, like you talked about in your sermon, of how do we deal with this then? And how do we help people? And how do we show compassion? Yep. So you're saying the question is, is an unborn baby, uh, is a fetus, a human? That's your yes. question. Okay. Yep. Does it have a it's soul? It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. The word fetus, I think, is the Latin word for baby. Huh. <laughs> That's so, true. you know, it's, we think of it as maybe not a baby, but that's what yeah. it's meaning is. I think that's the case. So, yeah, I do think that the scripture is really clear that God is very much involved in even forming us in our mother's womb. Like it says in one Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And what's there is extremely precious in that it develops into a human being. And if you think about, you know, anything that we could do on this earth that has significance, if you could create another person, I mean, it, you know, you think about creating a bridge or a road or whatever, but, you know, a person has incredibly more value than anything else that we could ever make. And uh, we do that through uh, in marriage and um, through reproduction. And it's, it's a very, very, really holy thing, really. One, one witness, another besides Psalm 139 that you mentioned, Dave, is, is in Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, 
uh, is, well, Mary, mother of Jesus, comes into the room where Elizabeth was, and the baby, which would be John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. And to me, there's some indication, it's not spoken explicitly, but there seems to be a strong indication there that John the Baptist had a soul and somehow knew that his Lord had just come into the room in, uh, in this young woman's body. That passage is so interesting and has all kinds of interesting bearings on what the nature of faith and, and everything too, this, that, that John the Baptist preborn had faith of some sort, knew he recognized his savior. It's crazy. Lots going on there. Yeah. So you think he maybe leaped for joy? Probably, huh? Yeah. It just says the, it just says the baby leaped in her womb when she, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. It's fascinating. There's a reason that details there for sure. Right. Yeah. So to me, those are a couple passages. Dave mentioned Psalm 139. You have Luke one. There's, there are others, but that if, if we settle on that, that, that life, that a, a child in the womb has a soul and is created in the image of God, then, then the stakes are a very high. And then we have to figure out how do we deal with this and how do we do it lovingly and yet still firmly to hold to the truth and, holding grace and truth and in the right and left hand. I had a lot of philosophy courses in college. It was part of my uh, major studies and ethics was one of the, one of the courses. And we discussed euthanasia and abortion almost entirely in that class. And philosophically there's, there's the problem is that you, you cannot identify the beginning of personhood except at conception and so a person is either as much human or unhuman as they are at conception where all the necessary building blocks are in place. So if, a, if, a, if, if you're trying to identify an age of viability in the womb, that age of viability extends outside the womb as well. And modern philosophers right now are even making those arguments that abortion of an infant is acceptable for various reasons. Uh, we don't have time in the podcast to get into the counter arguments uh, here, but the it it's, seems like a little bit of madness to me that, but it is philosophically consistent to say that if that's the case, then abortion is still acceptable after delivery. So there's even using that term abortion post delivery. And I think it's important to, to bring up philosophically speaking, there's a reduction from um, when, when is a baby a person and it's either right away at conception or not until they are independent of the mother, which is months and months physically viable apart from the mother months and months away. So there's, there's a real problem there. If you don't start with viability at conception, personhood at conception. And if they are, I just do, do think I'll just echo that that is the central issue is a, is a, is an infant in the womb, a human. And at what point do they become one? And we would, we would hold, believe, believe theologically, but also philosophically, that that begins at the moment of conception. What about exceptions, guys? If we're talking about policy, uh, po policy on how you deal with this sort of thing, we have opinions on um, the way laws are made and, and things like that. Uh, a lot of times you hear about exceptions to the matter. Like, are there, from a theological, from a biblical standpoint, when it comes to abortion, are there exceptions uh, and, and the classic ones are rape and incest, um, where it is acceptable at some point to have an abortion. I would say on that one, uh, 
two wrongs don't make a right. And even if there is something that's wrong, how do you redeem that? Do you do it by doing another wrong or you do it by doing a, a wonderful blessing to the world and raising that child? Um, and I think that the, in that there's much more health, there's much more sense of um, a blessing to the world and to the person who was abused and taken advantage of. If you see it from that perspective, uh, that that child is a blessing. Even with the inauspicious circumstances, to put it very mildly. Right. You know, you think about there's, I think there's examples of this type of thing in the scripture where some some people who had really, like you said, inauspicious beginnings ended up being leaders in Israel. Yeah. Jephthah, I think, is one. Is a, but I, maybe there's not others. But. And I think we'd want to be very clear, too, as we're saying that the Bible does have those examples. We would hold that as well. That does not in any way excuse the, the intensity of the criminal act of rape. Um, or, or anything like that, that does not make the thing okay, does not make the offense okay. But David really liked the way you put that, two wrongs don't make a right, you know. If, if it were an eye for an eye, why would the innocent human life that is the baby be the one punished for the crimes of the, the father? So yeah, say. and so really, the, I think the mother there in that case would be taking on the burden yeah. inflicted by the sin, and, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, of course, the perpetrator could be, should be punished. And, um, you know, I don't know, have child support or whatever the situation would be, if yeah. that's a possible thing. But or. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that it's often the case is that God calls us to suffer for other people's sins. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, we don't ever want to, but it's it was demonstrated to us by Jesus that that is extremely redemptive. And, and this question gets into really the broader or an, another subject of why has God allowed pain and suffering? Mm -hmm. Because that this topic of abortion, let's say through rape or something like that, or, you know, pregnancy through that, it's, it's horrific. I have four daughters and I've thought about how would I deal with that? And it's an emotionally <laughs> destroying question because I don't know what I do. I I'd, I'd want to kill somebody. I, you know, I just, I don't know how I would cope with that. And so from an emotional perspective, I understand the question and it's agonizing, Yeah. but it does bring us into the question, the broader question of, for the secondary question, second question would be about pain and suffering because much of pain and suffering we experience is not our own doing. And so it leads us into that question. So you do hear the question come up, why is God punishing me for something I didn't do from, from the mother? You know, you, Dave, you used the, I think the right word, she's bearing the fallout or bearing the consequence of the sin. There, there's earthly consequences to sin. And sometimes the one who is violated is the one bearing the pain and the shame and maybe even physical burden from then on. Are, are, but we want to be careful. We're not saying that God is inflicting that punishment on that person. Are, are we saying, or are we saying that? No, not if, not if that was a rape. No. Yeah. Right. And so I guess maybe that would be kind of where I'd want to bring this around to a, to a, to a finale here is um, I, I always say in, in dealing with these sorts of questions, boy, I would, 
I would, you know, what, what would you say to a young woman who has been raped and is, is bearing a child? Isn't that okay then that uh, she gets an abortion? And I would say that it's not okay. It's also not okay that she has to go through this. <laughs> That's not, neither of these situations are good or right or okay. But maybe the question is pastorally guys, or, or even if we had an opportunity to speak to a young mother who has been the victim of that hor- horrific crime of rape and now is pregnant, what would we, how would we counsel her? What would we say? First thing that comes to my mind is we should weep with her. Yeah. It's just, I cannot, I cannot fathom that kind of horror, but we should weep, um, bring as many people alongside as is appropriate for her. Um, and then, yeah, just start helping her go through life. I, I don't know where else to start. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope we don't have to face that. Yeah. But the it's greatest- the greatest horror is the violation, uh, not the, the child, yeah. in my opinion. And uh, so, yeah, you know, just I really agree with you, Brad, there. It's uh, it's something that we needs tremendous support. Yeah. Let's turn the question a little bit. Second question is, what would we say to a woman, maybe in our congregation, maybe tangential to people that, that we know who has had an abortion? and and is maybe dealing with some shame or some pain from that experience how would we counsel her well i've had experience doing that and it, it it's um yeah it, it i think to look to the cross is the biggest thing for forgiveness uh in a sense to get to a point where you can forgive yourself and I know in some cases, the biggest grief is the loss of what could have been. Yeah. And I could have had a child. And I've some, there's quite a few women I know that whenever they see a child that age, it's like deep inside pain, um, tears come. And it's forgiving yourself and realizing that even there, um, God's sovereign will was even involved in your error and that your child is not suffering because of that, you know, so. This gets into questions of infant death and heaven and hell and things like that. Right, too. Does, and, right. and we would, we would probably just to, just to address it quick, we would probably hold that infants that die. Um, I don't know if, I don't know how you would say it. Some would say they're in a state of innocence. I don't know that I would go there, but I do, I do believe uh, that God is just and he is merciful and he is right. And we can expect that he will do the right thing with that infant. And when we get to heaven, we'll say, ah, that judgment was correct. And on this planet, I can't imagine any other possible judgment than, than, um, than forgiveness and acceptance into, into his, his arms. And so as far as we're meant to understand it anyway, I think we could safely say as far as we understand it, um, babies that die in infancy are will be in heaven we'll see them you know, so. they haven't they haven't sinned that's for sure <laughs> right they haven't committed their own sin you know while we're on this uh man just yeah. to mention i think it would be good for us to mention that um in some cases abortion can is i think it's okay to take the life of a child if it's something that's going to destroy the mother as well hmm. and i know that we had a situation like this in our congregation recently where the child um, both mom and baby would have died with this particular situation. And that can be the case. And so I think there is a self-defense 
argument that I think holds some water, um, you know, if it's going to take the life of the mother. Now it's, that would be the kind of decision you'd have to make in the moment, in faith, trusting in the Lord and with counsel, right? I mean, right. that I would, I would hesitate to make any sort of dogma one way or the other on that one, but I, Dave, that's good to know. It's good to hear. And it is, it is interesting when you think about all the possible corners and all the possible exceptions, this really does come down to yeah. we're, we're operating in faith and we have a higher, uh, higher set of uh, values and there's life beyond death. Death in this world is not the worst thing that can happen to a human. You know, there's, there's so many things that are, that our worldview holds in place that the culture, I think the world just doesn't understand that makes the conversation about abortion very tricky. So final words. We didn't really get into uh, how to deal with this in the cultural political sphere. It'd be fun uh, to do one on that uh, issue a little bit. Yeah. You know, how much should we be pressing this in the culture or what, what priority does this get, you know, as far as who am I, who am I going to vote for? Who am I going to support? Right. Is this everything or is it, how high is it? And I think that's something where a lot of the disputes between uh, Christians comes is that different priorities for different issues. Right. And, and even patience through that discussion enough, because that is also a nuanced discussion. And, you know, we could get into, I did have this written down as a possible bullet as well, but um, oftentimes evangelicals especially are accused of being pro-life only when it comes to the unborn um, and, and having a holistic pro-life approach, holistic. We're here to support not only the unborn infants, but also the born ones and the mothers and, you know, uh, children throughout infancy and, and those that have had abortions. And, you know, uh, that's, there's a lot there. I think a follow-up would probably be good, Dave, where we start to get into some of those different positions. Very good. I look forward to that guys. Thanks for the conversation. Boy, this is a, there's a lot here. Yeah. All right. All right. See you next time. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Stonebrook Pastors Question and Answer Podcast. If you have a question you'd like to hear answered, email us at ask at stonebrook.org. We'll see you Sunday.